Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scottish Clans podcast. Thank you uh, for joining me again. If you're a repeat listener, if this is your first time, welcome. Thanks, thanks for being with us today. Today we're going to cover the last part in a three-part series about kindreds or clans with one surname and earldoms that have the same surname and look at the relationship between the two, as there are several. And I'm not saying, I guess I, guess I shouldn't say this is a three-part series. It's open-ended. This is part three. And if I bump into this subject in the future and I feel like it could use some explaining, then definitely we'll want, want to leave that door open to handle that then. But for now and for what I have planned, with, within my knowledge of the immediate future, this is the third part and then we'll move on to some other topics. So before I get to discussing the what you tuned in to listen to, which is the Sutherland clan versus the Earls of Sutherland. Let me just mention a few of you who have made comments fairly recently. Let me start off on Facebook. Now, once again, the way to interact with me or with the Scottish clan's Facebook page is, well, we've got, so there it is. The first one's the Facebook page I was going to mention. You can get on Scottish Clans, the Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash clans of Scotland, which is the actual address of the Scottish Clans Facebook page. And you can leave, send me a message on that. And someday when I get this page moved over from a page to a group, then you can just post your comments for everybody to see. In the meantime, when you message me, not everybody sees it, so I've tried to make it a practice of mentioning it on the podcast so that the the whole group, uh, me and all the listeners, all you wonderful people who tune into this, we can all benefit from these comments because some of them are just a pat on the back and saying, hey, good job, which I very much appreciate, and others of you are asking really, really good questions or offering valuable insights and so we want to be able to spread that with as many people as possible. So facebook.com forward slash clans of Scotland is one way. The Podbean app or podbean.com is another way to do it. And let me get the exact web address web address for you on that one. It would be the it's scottishclans.podbean.com. That is the actual website for the Podbean if you're not using the app and you're just using the uh, web browser. And then the other way to do it is Apple Podcast Reviews. So go on there, leave me a positive review, and you can offer your thoughts or insights there. Okay, so starting with Facebook, I've got Corey Romanat who says, Hey Clint, I have I enjoyed the episode on the Keith versus Gun feud and I've heard you mention the Keiths in passing on occasion. Is there any chance of an episode focusing on the origins, rise, and fall of the Keiths? Yes, Corey, there is a chance of that. I do have a kind of long list of clans that have been requested, but as of now, the Keiths are officially on that list. And I'm actually, after I get done with this series, this clan versus earldom or chiefs versus earls, mini series here. So basically after this episode, I'm going to jump into trying to take some take some of those requests, take care of some of those. Take care of some of you all who have made requests. The next one I want to get to is Rory McKenzie. 
and Rory spells his name in the original Gallic way, so that's kind of cool. He said, and I don't know if that's his birth way of doing it or if that's his way he's decided to do it on Facebook or I don't know, but that's that's cool. So Rory, thanks for your comment. Let me read it for everybody here. He says, I'm 16 and was born in and have lived in Scotland for 15 years of my life. I began researching Scottish history when I was 14. Soon I developed a passion for Gallic culture, and now I'm learning the language. Although I have considered my own identity for a... I think he meant to say I, I've considered it my own identity for a while now. Oh, no. Let me read that again. Although I have considered my own identity for a while, a long while now, I came to see that Gallic is the indigenous identity of this country... And therefore, it became important to me as someone whose father is Scottish and mother is Irish. While there are many people of various origins who have lived here for generations, most of the surnames in my family tree are of Gallic origin. I don't call myself a Gale, but I will instill the identity which my ancestors discontinued in my family in the future generations. However, I should inform listeners outside of Scotland that passion for heritage here is very shallow at best. Most people in Scotland do not know about Scottish history. Rory, you, you actually bring up several interesting points I think are worth pausing on and mentioning here. One is, look, I was about your same age when I started to get lit on fire by my ancestors, specifically my Scottish ancestors, becoming interested in Gaelic culture, language, music, all that stuff. Um... I, first of all, there's a lot of Americans who don't know anything about American history. So there's, don't, don't be too hard on the Scots. That maybe that's a, maybe there's a lot of countries who it would do, it would behoove them to, there, I said there'd be a lot, of, I should say there's a lot of citizens of a lot of countries who really need to polish up on their history and understand where they're coming from as they, because it drastically shapes the way you look at current events now and look ahead into the future. So there's one one good point you or interesting point you make. Um, another thing, don't mistake lack of interest in Scottish cultures as being represented by people your own age. Because when I was your age and I was starting to get into cool music and language and stuff, honestly, my friends could not have cared less. Now, as we mature and our interests mature and we become interested in things that we weren't interested in high school or in, during our teenage years... So allow from a, if if your perspective is being shaped a lot by what your peers are interested in, maybe allow some time for that to mature a little bit because not everybody gets lit up by their family history as early as you have. Um, another interesting point you make is that the Gallic culture and language. I came to see Gallic as the indigenous identity of this country. And then you do you do mention later that there are many people of various origins who have lived here for generations. Now, we're not just talking about the people from India or China who have immigrated from to Scotland, and now they have grandkids that are being brought up here, and that's all they know is Scotland. Let's take that back a little bit farther. There are parts of Scotland where Gaelic was never really spoken or never really a strong language. You could probably make an argument for the very southeast of Scotland. Now, there was at one time a Celtic language spoken there before a really old form of English was spoken there, but that would have been on the P-Celtic side of the family or the Brythonic uh, part of the language, Celtic language family, very, very similar to the language that became Welsh. 
and then that southeast part of Scotland became part of the Anglian Kingdom of Northumbria until that border was pushed back south again. And I can't remember under which king that happened, but it's probably in the 10 or 1100s. That border's pushed back south, and so part of that territory now, it's, it's not very, very northeast England. It's very, very southeast Scotland. I don't think that Gaelic ever really had a strong presence there. It went from that old, old form of British or Brythonic to an old form of English. Another part of Scotland that I wonder whether there was ever, Gaelic was ever a really strong presence is the very, very northeast. Um, and, and actually, for those of you who may be interested in, in my research for today's episode, I found an article that I have already posted on the Scottish Clans Facebook page about the extent to which Gaelic was spoken in the very northeast of Scotland and which, which parishes or towns or areas in that very northeast part, where do we have records of Gaelic being actually spoken there? Because keep in mind, there is part, there's parts of Scotland that were taken over by the Vikings directly from the Picts without any Scottish interlude there. Unlike, let's say, the the Southern Isles, in the, the Southern Hebrides, you could say Inner Hebrides, what was once part of the Kingdom of Dalriada, where the Gallic language goes way, way back, and that the, the Vikings overtook it from the Gaels that were there. But then eventually, even though that Scandinavian Old Norse language was influential and prominent and widely spoken in those areas for quite a long time, eventually those descendants of Scandinavians, of, of Vikings, were Gallicized. And so, the, the, which is kind of an ironic thing if you think about it. So other parts of Scotland where the Gallic language was lost, they're now reaching to these more remote parts of Scotland and bringing in Gallic from there. They're using that to plant in the other parts of Scotland who are interested, who were at one time Gallic-speaking and want to go back to that route. But they're now they're using as their base language a form of Gallic that was heavily influenced by Old Norse. I just think that's kind of interesting how that how that swings back forth, back forth. Anyway, so but not, yeah. So my point, I guess, there is the rest of not all parts of Scotland have that Gallic like where the where it used to be Dalriada, where it was the, you know it's the earliest re- recorded parts of Scotland where we have the Gallic language. That very very uh, where you know the part of Scotland I'm referring to is Wick or so, that very northeast, way northeast corner of Scotland, that was probably when the Vikings moved in and and gained control of that area, which it was controlled by Scandinavians for a a long time, they probably took it over from the Picts, not from Gaelic-speaking settlers. And so then it goes from a Scandinavian language to what? Probably became, well, well, I don't know if, where Norn fits in here. Norn is a kind of a language that's descended from, used to be spoken in Scotland, and it was descended from the Old Norse language. But I think it goes from there to Scots, not not back to Gaelic and then to Scots and then to English or however that might go in other places of Scotland. Anyway, I guess I think it's a really interesting point that Rory here brings up. And I think it's cool that he's he's 16 and this is a big, huge deal for him and he's learning this. So we have... 
But anyway, we have different parts of Scotland that, that have a different linguistic and cultural root. And at one time, Scotland or Gaelic was spoken. If you look maybe into the 11, 10, 11, 1200s, Gaelic was widely spoken in Scotland, but uh, that line began to recede not very long after Alexander the Third. Anyway, it's a very, but it is a complex. It's not. It's not a simple issue, and and you, I probably could spend a lot longer talking about it. But anyway, Roy, I think it's great you're getting into that stuff, and and I think that that's that you've connected with that. You've taken the time to research your family tree, and. And you're you're identifying what you are from these Gallic families, and even though your ancestors have discontinued that language, you're going to make a commitment to pass that on to future generations. If you're listening to this, hey, big huge pat on the back, good job, keep up the good work, don't get discouraged, don't get distracted, keep at it. Anyway, is there anything else in here that I want to cover that he brings up? I think we're good. Thanks, Rory. On to Jay Campbell. Actually, I, I kept the correspondence going with, with uh, Mr. Campbell here back and forth for quite a while. He was asking more specific family history questions, and, and I'll just touch on this very briefly. I'm, while I've, I think I'm getting better and better at just the historical research for Scotland or in general, family history, like actually finding records and pushing my the branches of my family tree farther back by finding new names, dates to substantiate, or re- records to substantiate that. That's something I'm still really in my early stages of. I have tried on a few of my lines, the McFarland line being one of them, the Edwards line being another line. <coughs> Excuse me, but... Um, I'm not a genealogist. I am. I would not consider myself an expert on that. So what I did with Jay Campbell is I r- directed him to a because f- he was asking me since he knows that I'm a Latter Day Saint. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints has has some resources that are free, and if you, depending on where you live, you might be fairly close to a family history uh, Church of Jesus Christ family history center where you can go in a lot of them are held they actually have them in a church building it's not a there's we don't have a a single building dedicated solely for that pursuit although they do exist a lot of them are just in a church building and you walk into the church during certain hours and there's people who have um, been willing to donate their own personal time to working in there and some of them are very knowledgeable about how to point you in the right direction, showing you resources and giving you access to resources. Um, If you go into those, they have partnerships with other family history sites like Ancestry.com, like um, Family Tree DNA. I can't remember if that was one of them. There's, There's several different Ancestry sites that... You, you will, if you're doing it from your home, it's going to cost you money. But if you go into a Church of Jesus Christ Family History Center and use their resources there, you, they actually have access to those sites that it would take money to use otherwise. And once again, this is all for free. So I kind of, Jay told me where he lived. 
I looked it up, found one that's actually in the same town as him and, and steered. So I hope that works out well for you, Jay. The rest of you, I think if you just Google Church of Jesus Christ Family History Center, you can or near me or something like that, you can go the churchofjesuschrist.org will have a a tool for you to find out how close the nearest Family History Center is to you. So just to let everybody know that that's a resource. I myself, if you're trying to ask me how to push your line farther back, I mean, I can give you some historical, like, okay, maybe have you looked in this area, and I know this happened here and this, but but there's definitely people out there who are better at it than I am, and so I'm just trying to steer you in the direction that I I know that, that um, that, that'll be better than me. Going on to Ben McGillivray, share with, with you what, what he had mentioned here. He says, really enjoying your Scottish clans podcast, especially the ones on Clan Hatton which is no surprise because his last name is McGillivray, who are part of the Clan Catton. It says, Macintoshes versus Camerons and the one on the Kingdom of Dalriada, one to name a few. You're excellent, and let the listeners know how reliable your sources are. Anyway, I'll chat more on this page when I get more time. Kind regards, Ben McGillivray. Thank you, Ben McGillivray. I appreciate it. And uh, we have Patricia Graham, who has made a request that I put the McInnes clan on my list of requests. So if you also were wondering about the McInnes clans, just so you know, Patricia Graham is looking out for you, and I've got the name on my list now. Okay. Woo! That's everything from Facebook. I will try, I try not to, I'll try not to get like to where this actually takes up the benefit of time, because I think a lot of you actually um, really wanted to hear about the Sutherlands. So, we have just a couple of comments on here from the Podbean app. Says, "Let's go with, let's go with one." I make sure I had start on one that we haven't covered yet. This is G Clark. Says, "I love your podcast. I have Hamilton in my ancestry, so I hope you can add them to your list." Also, I was wondering if you could recommend a decent biography book for both William and Wallace and Rob Roy. You know what, G. Clark? I have not. I, I, can't, I don't know anything off the top of my head. I think if I were to answer that question for you, I'd probably be looking on Amazon and looking at reviews on stuff and then trying it out that way. And But it wouldn't be anything that that wouldn't take you about the same amount of time to do. So I, don't, I really don't have much to contribute there. And let me just make sure... That on my list of requests here, I have the Hamiltons. You know what? I don't have the Hamiltons. So, guess what? I'm adding it right now. There it is. It's on the list. G. Clark, there you go. And Way Ray. His real name is Wayne Murray, which. This is awesome because the Murrays actually tie into what we're going to talk about today. It's looking very likely that Clan Lindsay, the Earls of Crawford, not to be confused if you check the last episode with the Clan Crawford, and Clan Murray, the Murrays of Tullerberdine, Athol, Dunmore, have a common ancestor. I've had my DNA tested with Family Tree DNA, YDNA Murray Project, and match the Dunmore-Athol line. Common ancestor with me about 800 years ago, my third great-grandfather from Sutherlandshire. I will send other links on Thursday, Wayne Murray. So, Wayne, I very much appreciate it. All right, 
and I didn't I didn't check the uh, Podbean or not the Podbean, but the Apple Podcast yet. But I'm gonna have to save that for another time because I really want to jump into this. So if you have a comment on there that's you're and you're waiting for me to mention something about it, I I will I, I will check that next time. All right, now let's talk about. There's some really interesting history that I wanted to get into today. Let's see where are we. Uh, we're already 20 minutes into this thing. First of all, let me start off by talking about sources that I'm going into. That way I don't feel like I have to cite everything as I move through. If I tell you where I'm pulling my information, you can first of all, you can reach out to me and let me know if I'm. there's a huge gap in my uh, source list, that there's something that was just huge for the research on this particular subject, and I missed it, and I need to go back and check it out, and it will totally influence how I'm looking at this whole subject. Please let me know. What I've got so far is just at the very top of the list. Look, this is a source that several clans from, I would say, the area around Inverness, Inver, around Inverness, and then north of that. A lot. They pull a lot of information from clans in that part of Scotland from this source. It's by Robert Gordon. It's called the Genealogical History of the Earldom of Sutherland, and it comes. I believe it was published, or he wrote it. Around the right around 1630. Why would that be significant? Because the clan system was still up and running. It we were you know we're for another more than a hundred years. It would be so. You're th now. Let me say that that's true for the Highlands, the border clans, the border reavers, the riding surnames, whatever you want to call them. They're phasing out at this time. Because a couple decades before this, you have, well, a few decades, you have James VI became the James, James I of England, and now he's, it's not the same kingdom yet, but they've got the same ruler. And he just clamped down really hard on that border stuff. He, he shipped a lot of them off that were causing troubles, that were carrying on like he didn't want to be carried on and so you really this is this early first half of the 1600s this is where the border reavers start to go away but the highlanders still have a lot of life in them yet the highland clans i should say as clans as a cohesive kin group in a kin-based society to use john bannerman's language the highlanders still have a, a way to go um, the other lowland families, as the central government becomes stronger and stronger, it looks like they rely less and less on the kin-based society, although they do share in that heritage. But I think by the 1630s, they're starting to look a little bit more like Welsh and English families. All right, so that's the first source, a genealogical history of the Earldom of Sutherland. Another source that contributes to the information that 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 previous source covers is by Robert Mackay or Mackay history of the house and clan of Mackay which was published in the early 1830s we also have Malcolm Sutherland in 1996 published a fighting clan Sutherland officers 1250 to 1850 I also pulled information from electricscotland.com their their clan Sutherland page and also clansutherland.org.uk one last source is a physical book that I have in my possession called The Castles of Scotland by Martin Coventry, and that is a source that I do recommend for you. If you have never 
Yeah, I, I, there's just it's just all castles, but there's clan information embedded in there, as it's kind of hard to separate these fortified dwellings from the people that inhabited them, and often the context that they were inhabited and used as a fortified dwelling was in a kin-based context. So you get information on the clans. That's kind of cool. All right. So, Earldom of Sutherland versus the clan Sutherland, or the actual kin group. Where do the Sutherlands come from? The Sutherlands trace their origin back to a Flemish nobleman named Freskin. Freskin. It looks like he came to Scotland in the reign of David I as a lot of other... Not necessarily Flemish, but Norman knights did at this time. We've mentioned that before on this podcast. So same time period as a lot of the Normans came into Scotland. Also, Freskin from Flanders comes in. Now, I haven't seen anywhere where they're absolutely, positively, without a doubt, traces birth back to Flanders, but I haven't really seen any competitive views on this one. So we're just going to call him a Flemish nobleman. Now, he starts off with property there in West Lothian at a place called Strathbrock. But, as much as I can tell from taking these different sources and kind of putting it all together, it looks like he participated with David I in suppressing rebellions in the Murray, from, from Murray or the Murrayshire. It wasn't a shire at, at this point. It was almost an independent kingdom. The the kings or mormares of Murray were closely related to the royal dynasties that descend from, uh, descend from Kenneth MacAlpin, and had a very and often had a very strong competitive claim to the kingdom of Alaba, and they were anyway. Without going into the huge history on that one. They were, they were a problem for the king, kings of Alaba, and it looks like Freskin helped out the Scottish king suppress rebellions up there and was rewarded with vast lands in Murrayshire. And if you don't know where Murrayshire is, we're talking about the, the vicinity of Inverness. I think if we're being really strict about this, it's south and east of Inverness, but it's originally Murray was, like I said, kind of like it's either its own kingdom or a vassal state of the kings of Alaba or the or the kingdom of Alaba and it was bigger than what you're going to look up as the county of Murray or and and by the way you're going to see it's pronounced Moray which is how, how I pronounce it forever until I learned that the pronunciation of it even though it's spelled Moray is Murray so and in Gaelic I think it's something closer to Murav that's where Freskin obtained lands for his services in suppressing these rebellions. Now, just a quick note on the history of this. In the, there's another source, and I actually didn't, didn't mention it. It's called the History of Murrayshire. Let me go down. I, I believe I can find this farther down in my notes here. Let's see. I've got some, I've got some notes that are not associated with this episode necessarily. But there's a history, and it's a oh, it's the it's called the history here. I found it, the history of Murrayshire. <coughs> In that, it's a PDF document that you can download if you if you find it on archive.com or one of those other similar places. It it says that it, it kind of paints the picture in Murray, 
Okay, fast forward your mind to the early 1600s and the Ulster plantation, right? You have Ulster. You know, today we associate it with it's the most British part of all of Ireland. But at one time, it was the most Gaelic and the most rebellious against the, the British. And that's why it got planted so hard with these this plantation effort to settle outsiders, kick the, the local Gaelic Catholic chieftains off their land and plant it with people who are going to be more friendly toward the British crown, namely British subjects. And actually, going back to our mention of the border reavers, a lot of them, when they got expelled from the borders, they were forced to resettle over in Northern Ireland. So you see a lot of border surnames in Northern Ireland today. So... Think So that whole plantation effort, I was reading this history of Murrayshire, and that's kind of what it sounds like this was with all these Normans being settled up and through that area. It wasn't necessarily a population shift, but the, the people who held power up in that part of Scotland, that definitely shifted. So you have clans like the Roses of Kilrock and the Frasers and the maybe the Grants and the Cummings and the and I could go on and on and on. So as part of that movement, the these Normans who are given power and control and titles in the north, you also have Freskin is even though he's from Flanders, not Normandy, and we don't know, you know, and the thing that I got wondering about when I was reading up on this and studying and preparing for this episode is if if he was part of that movement, was he already settled in England? Because these Normans that are coming up and, and are part of this movement with David I, they were friends that he'd made in exile in England. So I start wondering, how did Freskin tie in with this group? Was he already living in England did he hear about a movement and come up from Flanders and join in? Or I, I don't know. And I, I couldn't really found any, find any sources that gave more information on that. So it, just, just to, I guess, make it simple, he's part of that movement even though he's not Norman necessarily. He's Flemish. So he comes up. He gets, once again, settles, gets, gets title and land there in West Lothian, but then participates in suppressing the rebellion up in Murrayshire and gets extensive lands up there. And it looks like he is the one who was behind the building of Duffus Castle, which is east of Inverness along the the southern coast of the Murray Firth. All right. So, Freskin. He, from him, we have not just the Sutherlands, but we also have the Murrays, the actual kindred clan Murray, who became of Tullibardine, of the earls of, or later dukes, I think, of Athol. If you thought, think about Lord George Murray of the Jack, the forty-five Jacobite rebellion, seventeen forty-five, he was the the brilliant leader that was responsible for a lot of their successes and pushing clear down into England. And a lot of people claim, a lot of historians claim that if Bonnie Prince Charlie had just continued to listen to Lord George Murray you probably would have had a dynasty change and the Hanoverians would have been done at that time and the Stuarts would have been back in control. But he didn't, and it didn't turn out that way, and it's hard to peer into other dimensions and see what would have happened in some alternate reality, so we really don't know. Anyway, I believe Lord George Murray was from the Tullibardine branch of the Murrays, but the Murrays all claim descent from this Freskin. And he, used, he and his descendants used the title Dumeravia, now, 
this is where I got to wondering about how this works out with surnames and all this. And I keep in mind, I understand that the rank and file everyday guy in the Highlands does not have a surname at this, you know, as we're coming from the 1100s into the 1200s and that far back, mostly surnames were the, the only people who are concerned about that for more than one generation were the aristocracy. So, so how does that work with, oh, also I want to add that the Douglases may be descended. I don't want to go off on that tangent too far, but there's a chance the Douglases are also descended. And according to Wayne Murray, or not, it wasn't, was it Wayne Murray or was it, who was the comment that I read earlier that talked about, it, oh yeah, it was Wayne Murray. It looks like maybe the Lindsays, Earls of Crawford, could possibly be tied in. But anyway, the two main clans are the Sutherlands and the Murrays, and maybe the Douglases, descended from this Freskin. Now, twelve in twelve thirty-five, I be, it's William de Moravia, who he's the fifth of de Moravia. He's the fifth. Anyway, he's granted, and the earldom of Moravia is created for him. Now, keep in mind, earldoms are created, and then they go away, and they come back, and I'm not really sure which iteration this was, but but it was 1235. It was for William, who's Freskin's great-grandson, that the king of Scotland creates this earldom of Moravia, and so the these people who have been styling themselves of Moravia or de Moravia for a quite for a few generations now are actually the earls of Murray or earls of Murray. So there we have it. We have this kindreds, earls of Murray, and so you can see. So when I bring in these other clans like the Sutherlands and the Murrays, so Freskin's son had that we know for sure one son, William, and then William has two sons, William and Hugh. Okay, and so the Sutherlands and the Murrays are descended from these two sons. Now, the line that comes down that becomes the Sutherland family, and for more on that, you can just go ahead and it's an easy Wikipedia search, and it's so easy to find information on that that I'm not going to go farther into who's from who and all that. But you have the Sutherlands. So who? So where does the Sutherland versus de Moravia, how these two titles and labels and designations how do how do they exist within this kin group as far as i can tell like i told i gave you all my sources from reading all of it and kind of trying to put it together it looks like the line the the immediate family that the earldom passed down through continued to style themselves de moravia while those who did not inherit this the the earldom these other branches that are coming off, they start to use the Sutherland surname. Now, keep in mind, and one one more detail: Sutherland is a is a geographical reference, right? And then we get it from the Scandinavians who had settled farther north. Because some of you are thinking Sutherland isn't very southern. Well, it depends on from whose perspective you're looking at it from. If your main base of territory is Caithness or Orkney or or Shetland then yes, Sutherland is a lot farther south. So that's where the, there was, it's a, comes from the Scandinavians. But this kin group gets established there, and they're using the Dermoravia surname, but 
branching on a broader context looks like and it looks like these two like this the name Sutherland and Demoravia may have been used simultaneously just depending on who you're asking or who you're referring to the earldom line may be using the Demoravia title at the same time as other branches of the same kin group are starting to use the term or the word the name Sutherland okay so that's that was a bit of a mental exercise and that was something that I was really all over the place trying to untangle. I'm really trying to, that's the whole point of this little mini-series here, is trying to untangle this for you guys. And so this is what I can find. This is the best I'm doing so far. All right, so where do the, oh, one little note of interest before I start tying in the Gordons to this. The, I've done a lot of research on the shift of power in Scotland pre War of Independence and post-War of Independence, pre-Battle of Bannockburn, Robert Bruce, post-Battle of Bannockburn, post-Scottish Independence. Because power changed drastically, and I've mentioned this before in this podcast. This kindred of the, that became known as Sutherland and Murray, they retain power. They have, they're, they're very power, they become very powerful before the War of Independence, and they still got it afterwards, which lets us know that even if, you know, like, it seems like there's a lot of clans say, oh, yeah, we were at Bannockburn helping out. And in a lot of cases, we're just completely left to trust the clan folklore legends or what oral history that's passed down or clan traditions that they were there. But for me, this is not the fact that this is this is a big deal here that they are still about as powerful when it's done as before it started the war of independence that that's that's a really a strong proof that they did choose the, that side cuz clans that were this big and powerful who had opposed Robert the Bruce they didn't hold on to that did they did they extinguish no because we still have clans like the Cummings and the McNaughtons and the McDougals. But they are, they reduced, they, all oh, the, the difference in how extensive, like the McDougals, how powerful they were before War of Independence and after is, is huge. The, the Cummins, the amount of territory they possessed before, huge. Like, I, I would compare it to, the, the Cummins before the Scottish War of Independence, or the, it was what some people call the First War of Independence, they were powerful on a level like the Campbells were in the second half of the 1500s and into the 1600s. They were, they were that, or, the, or you could even say the Gordons. They were powerful on that level. And where were they two or 300 years later? And it stems back to that they sided against Robert the Bruce and probably didn't help the relationship at all what happened in Greyfriars Abbey where Robert the Bruce stabbed the common leader who was also a claimant to the throne and he also happened to be the McDougal's brother-in-law and so you know that's the way it played out and they were turned to be pretty bitter enemies and they opposed him in fact Robert the Bruce's force after they're fleeing from a defeat at the hands of the English get ambushed by McDougal's nearly wiped out that is represented in Outlaw King and yeah so 
yeah, he remembers that. When he got his power back and he becomes no kidding, not just crowned king of Scotland, but no kidding king of Scotland, he remembered who who stuck with him and who opposed him. And those people who opposed him really suffered. And so we see the, the Sutherland, this de Moravia family, this kin group, make it through that. And that's very strong proof. If we didn't have any other records, that's very strong proof that they chose to side with Robert the Bruce and were there through thick and thin. All right. So, on to the split between the kindred and the earldom. Okay, so we got the earldom of Sutherland, which was, and oh, by the way, I, sh I should correct myself. Go back to the earld earldom of Murray. Earldom of Murray was not created in 1235. The earldom of Sutherland was. So, and that that's the one that was goes back to William Freskin's great-grandson. 1235, Earldom of Sutherland. That's where we see this, this kin group become the Earls of Sutherland. It's 1235. Okay, so fast forward to the early, early 1500s. Now, the Wikipedia article will tell you, which, yes, I didn't mention that in my sources, but I did check it out. They will tell you that this all happens in 1514. The genealogical history of the Earldom of Sutherland makes it look like Adam Gordon, a younger sibling to the Gordon that inherited the earldom of Huntley, his younger sibling, the younger brother, he marries Elizabeth de Moravia. It looks like from the genealogical history of the earldom of Southern that that happened before 1514, where it's claimed that it happened in 1514 in the... Um, in the Wikipedia article. So, I, but I'm, uh, to you guys, I don't know that that matters a ton, but in the early 1500s, you have the, the Earl of Sutherland, and he's got, that I can think of off the top of my head, two, two kids. Elizabeth? No, 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 no. These are his siblings. Elizabeth, who marries Adam Gordon, younger brother to the Earl of Huntley, and Alistair. Okay, so the big mystery here is then, why, when the Earl of Sutherland dies, and his sister's married to Adam Gordon, and his brother's Alistair, why doesn't their earldom go to Alistair? Well, it didn't, and I'll get to that in a second. The earldom goes to Adam Gordon, who is the Earl of Sutherland's sister's husband, and he's the one that inherit, inherits this. And so I, I, this is a question I have as I get into studying this. The genealogical history of the Earldom of Sutherland often refers to this Alistair or Alexander as the bastard. So it looks like it was a question of, of, legitim of legitimacy, versus, legitimacy versus illegitimacy. And this is, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't catch the backstory on this, like who had an affair with who and We've got an illegitimate, and he's a bastard, and so now he can't inherit the earldom. And it, and you know, I with the other with the other episodes I did that were similar to this, I was looking for did when that power shifted to a different clan and a different kin group becomes now the earls of of whatever. Was there any conflict? Was there any trying to get that back? And with the the Lindsays versus the Crawfords, there there was no. They looked like there was very little contact between these two and it seems almost like the clan Crawford was like yeah there's an earldom with our name on it but it's that's the Lindsay's and we don't care that's almost nobody ever said that and I never read that anywhere but 
It's almost what the history looks like. In this case, there is a conflict. But it's interesting that Alistair doesn't, in fact, so he doesn't try to violently oppose Adam Gordon about the earldom until way later. And it looks like it was done mostly at the instigation of Yoin Mackay, the, the, the chief of the Mackays who's of Strath neighbor who are farther to the north and west of the Sutherland area. And I, I, I think actually you can include that Mackay territory in Sutherland in a broader sense, but anyway, they're, they're farther north. And it looks, and so before that happens, you have an incursion. The, the Mackays and, and a few others are pushing into Sutherland territory and raiding, and Alistair, the brother of the previous Earl of Sutherland, okay, so now the, that's, he's dead, and you have Adam Gordon, who has inherited the earldom, and you have his brother-in-law, his illegitimate brother-in-law, Alistair. Alistair is one of the leaders of the force that opposes the Mackays. He's on the same team, folks, and he's he's doing this with the help of a gentleman named Murray of Aberscores. Now, the Murray of Aberscores are interesting because they seem to provide the military leadership for the Earls of Sutherland. Whenever there's anything, whenever there's anything shaking down, it looks like whoever is the chief of the Murrays of Aberscores is leading the way on this. Now, the Murrays, the Murrays of Aberscores, if if at all, are only very distantly related to the other Murray kindreds that are farther south, like in Athol and Perthshire, Perthshire and down that farther south. Um, but I can't help but think with this Demoravia surname that they're just, that they're tied in here somehow, but I don't know how. Anyway, this Murray of Aberscores and Alistair lead the force against the Mackay incursion. So it looks like Alistair's, I, I don't know what he's thinking at the time, but he's at least playing along with Adam Gordon, taking the, the earldom. He's defending the territory. Whereas later, he will marry a sister, right? Let me check my notes. Yes, a sister of Yoin Mackay. He marries, he marries Yoin Mackay's sister, and all of a sudden, he thinks that he should be the Earl of Sutherland. And it really just looks like this Mackay, or Mackay, I believe it's Mackay, though, in Scotland, in the original pronunciation, looks like he's the one that's putting this in Alistair's head. In fact, and if you want to go study all this a little bit more on your own, you can kind of see where I'm coming from. It looks like Alistair's, looks like he kind of gets blown by whichever breeze is strongest. Does that make sense? So, he's going along, and then he, I don't know. So, he does eventually rise up against Adam Gordon, who's not present at the time. He's farther south and east, probably with his other relatives, the Gordons, and this incursion happens, and... By this time, the Sutherlands have shifted. They're not based out of Duffus Castle. They're out of Dunrobin Castle, which is on the other, like on the northern shore of the Murray Firth. And that's the castle that Alistair and his forces are laying waste to. Now, in doing this, 
there had been a the the Sutherlands fought back. They took the castle back, but when they had obtained the castle, Alistair wasn't there. He had already gone back to Mackay lands to get more guys, which Yoin Mackay was all too happy to give him if he can come out with some kind of advantage out of this, especially while Alistair's doing all the work. So Alistair, he's when they when the Adam Gordon and his guys have retaken Dunrobin Castle from this opposing force. Alistair's not there. He goes back. He's getting more Mackays or men of the Strathnaver area, and he pushes back into, and he starts killing people who are siding with his brother-in-law, his, his fellow clansmen get killed, and this makes his name to kind of stink in the land, to use a biblical reference. And so that when he's defeated... I, I don't remember whether Adam Gordon actually kills him himself or has him killed, but he, he tries pleading for his life, and now oh, let me, it'll, well, we can work this out. It's a no-go. You've, you've transgressed beyond that point, and you're, you're out of here. So they kill him. But his descendants become the Sutherlands of Kilfetter, who way farther down the line, like in the 1700s, later 1700s, I believe they inherit the earldom. Go ahead and check that out and make sure I'm right on that because that wasn't really the, the main line of my study for this. That was just a detail that I kind of saw along the way. But the, the Sutherlands of Kilfetter are descended from this Alistair. And that's where his, his descendants were able to... So it looks like they, they, they did away with him, but they didn't take it out on future descendants, which is completely in the realm of possible for things the way things ran back then like sometimes it was just you but then sometimes it was not only you but it was all of your posterity an example of that and i think this is a this example ties in on several levels here go back to our discussion on the mcdonald's of clan ranel and how that all worked out see it's interesting because alistair doesn't get the earldom because he's illegitimate and but that doesn't that doesn't seem and maybe because it was such a high feudal title that was a big deal but it just doesn't seem to me that illegitimacy was the end of the world for a claimant who had enough backing and that may be where the real issue lies is who was willing to back Alistair if you don't count the Mackays it doesn't seem like Alistair had a really strong support within his own kindred. Now, because if you go back to the, the Clan Ranald story, between that and the Frasers, and you have, you have the, you have, uh, was it Ronald Galda, who was supported by his, his Fraser, his mom's side of the family, they're all Frasers, and they're backing him because he's, but you have, on the other hand, who is the, uh, this is completely off the top of my head. I'm trying to remember my notes from them. But you had Moidert, Moidertach, Yoin Moidertach. He was illegitimate, and that's why they thought, and you know what, I don't actually know if he's illegitimate or whether they just made up like the Ronald, uh, Ronald Galda made up that to weaken his claim because he wanted his own claim, or whether he really was, but for, as far as we can tell, it looks like he really was. But the difference was he had a strong support within his own kin group. He was known as, a, he, had, he was very, a very good leader. It seems like he had good rapport amongst those whom he led. 
they, they liked him. And he, he looked out for them well and he protected them. And, and you could go into this. There's a something I was reading on this about what was necessary for, if I can find this, I'll post it on the Facebook page. What was necessary, for, what was expected out of a Highland chief. And one of the big roles they played was they, they needed to be a protector. They were looked at as, as a father figure. And the father of the household, if you're just looking at it on a family level, his protect, preside, and provide. And those t- seem to be the at the core of being the patriarch of a home. And and Yoen Moidertach, you know, or John of Moidart, it looked like he his clan had confidence in him with that, and that they backed him. And that was a big difference. It wasn't so that overcame any illegitimacy issues that he had with obtaining his and. He, and that went back that yeah I, I I'm just less and less inclined to think that it was because it was an earldom instead of the just the chiefship of a clan because with Yoin Moiter talk there was property holdings and crown charters for certain lands that were given out and none of that seemed that the illegitimacy did not seem to stop him there I think at the heart going back to the Sutherlands the really heart of the matter was that Alistair did not have a strong enough following amongst his own kin and Adam Gordon for some reason did or maybe everybody just liked his wife a lot. Maybe Elizabeth was the real champ here, and everybody wanted to follow her and her husband, or maybe a combination of those two. Maybe this Adam Gordon was just awesome, and yeah, I don't know how, where that where it all stems from. But either way, the, the the earldom of Sutherland goes to Adam Gordon. Now, to carry on, the the interesting part of this this story is that. Adam Gordon, unlike the, the example with the Lindsays being the Earls of Crawford and then you have a separate kin group named Crawford, Adam Gordon goes on to become the head of the Sutherland clan. But it doesn't look like he changes his name, which is kind of weird because sometimes that would happen. A guy inherits his title. He's looked at as the new head of this clan, and so he changes his name. That happened. It does not look like, for generations, it looks like the Gordons, the, these, uh, this Gordon line that inherits the Earldom of Sutherland, looks like they keep the name Gordon. And they, and they maintain very close ties with the Earls of Huntley. So the Earls of Huntley, I would say, as talking about very powerful clans, the Earls of Huntley were operating on the same scale that the Earls of Argyle were, just massively powerful. As we go into the 1500s, which is when this is all taking place, and into the 1600s. Now, on down the, ro- the line, as you come into the 1745 Jacobite Rebellion, you have the Gordon, that's the Sutherland the Earl of Sutherland, you see him change his name to Sutherland. And why does he do that? Because he has, as the, the Sutherland, the Earls of Sutherland had had a history of supporting the government. And the Earls of Huntley were, had to, really though, I was about to say that the Earls of Huntley, the, that part of the, the main Gordon clan, were, were Catholic and Jacobites. But that's actually uh, overgeneralization. That that clan was split, if I remember correctly. But I believe the Earl of Huntley was a Jacobite, and I this may have may have possibly not one hundred percent sure and certain, but possibly this was a distant an effort to distance himself 
by changing his name to Sutherland, which had been a traditionally government-supporting name, and away from Gordon, which was becoming associated with Jacobitism. So, there you have it. You have this long line of Gordons, who are the Earls of Sutherland and chiefs of Clan Sutherland. So that's where this becomes different than our other two examples, is the, the new earldom, because you go back to their first episode with the Rosses, the new earls of Ross are not heads of the clan Ross. You've got Leslie's that, that take it, you have that goes from there to the, the lords of the, well, to the Stuarts and to the lords of the Isles and then back to the Stuarts, and, then, and none of those feudal superiors were recognized as the head of the Ross kindred. And so that's where, even though the, the Rosses, it seemed like there was a little bit closer connection, at least with the territory. I mean, like I said earlier, with the Lindsays and the Clan Crawford, there just seems to be really not a lot of, um, not, not a lot of connection there. But here, it's very connected, absolutely connected, to the point where the Gordons eventually, generations later, just changed their name to Sutherland. They've been they've been part of that clan for so many generations now, anyway, and it becomes politically expedient for them to do that. And, but it looks like they were recognized and and followed by the kindred named Sutherland. And that's about all I got for you on that. But I thought that one, the, that one out of the three, kind of. I had so many questions about it and so many, and there was so much material. That's why this is coming out a little late is because I was trying to really pin this down. It wasn't just, oh, I've got this one thing, this one interesting point to share with you about the Sutherlands. No, there, there is some stuff going on here and the Mackays were involved and that's where you get into that other source that I shared with you about the uh, history of the house and clan of Mackay because Robert Mackay seems to have a lot to say about these things that were going on there. Keep in mind, if you're going through the genealogical history of the Earl of Sutherland, and it, it, other people turn out to be villains in this one, like the Sinclairs don't look that good in their involvement with in Sutherland, and the Mackays look like just a bunch of marauding bandits, which maybe they were, or maybe it's just a biased telling. And so I would encourage you to go back and to get both sides of the story, read History of the House and Clan of Mackay. Anyway, that's what we've got for you. Let me just give you a quick note on future episodes. So like I said, I wanted to start taking a little chunk out of some of these clans that are on my list of rec of my list of uh, re requests. My list of requests. Couldn't think of the word there. So when, But when I do that, and for those of you who've made requests and are waiting for an episode on your clan to come out, it's not going to be a history of your clan. Keep in mind, like, let's just use today's episode for example. The Sutherlands, we did not go into an exhaustive history of everything that happened with the Sutherlands from the time that we have people using the name Sutherland clear up through the 14 and 1500s and every clan battle they got engaged in, which were a lot. You get that situation between the Sinclairs and the Mackays. You've got some, you got some action happening there. But we didn't get, get into all that. Because there's one specific thing I want to... Because if, if, if I'm just going to regurgitate the Wikipedia article, you can just go there and read it. Or go to electricscotland.com. There's tons of stuff on there. So when I do these... When I'm going into these clans that are on my list of recommendations or requests, keep in mind I'm going to find something I think is particularly interesting and I'm going to go into it. And that's what you can expect to find 
as you tune into this episode. It's not meant to be a, a broad survey of the history of the clan. Anyway, thanks for joining me today. Let me just um, off make one request for you. If you could share this podcast with somebody you think would like it, I'd sure appreciate it. And, and so it maybe with the, the person that you're sharing it with, you know, there's been a lot of you who've responded and said, hey, I love this podcast. And you know what? I don't know if you found it yourself or if somebody shared it with you, but you seem kind of excited that you found it. And so you all who are listening, maybe you, if, you've, if you've liked what you've heard, first of all, leave me a positive review on Apple Podcasts. But second of all, share it with somebody. And if you got something that you had a bigger question on or something that I skipped or missed or another insight that you think would add to the conversation, go ahead and reach out to me on the Scottish Clans Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash clans of Scotland or on scottishclans.podbean.com or on the app, Podbean app, or on the Apple Podcast like I just mentioned. Thanks for joining me again. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>